Hey y'all, you're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to our third and final installment of our series on folk artist and preacher Howard Finster. If you haven't heard the first two episodes, these recordings were made by myself in the late 1990s at Finster's Paradise Gardens in North Georgia. One last personal story. During the early 1990s, I had a job as a pharmacy delivery driver in Tennessee, and besides private residences and nursing homes, there were many assisted living group homes for the mentally and physically handicapped that were on my route. At one facility, I asked to use their public restroom, and there on the wall above the toilet was a piece of framed artwork by the Howard Finster. In spite of all the scripture that Mr. Finster had gone to great lengths to include on the piece, I was strongly tempted to slip the artwork under my shirt and take it on home with me. In the end, I did not, but I often wonder if the piece is still shining its light in that restroom. That confession out of the way, let's get to Mr. Finster. And she was... I started a song that would make a hit, but it's a romance song. It's a young lover song, you know. I might give you a pitch of it. Okay, you know, sure. But, uh... <laughs> so I fell in love one time. It was the first time I ever fell in love. I didn't know anything about sissies that, and it was a sweetheart's love. And after I married and raised five children then, I learned how to sing them romance songs, and if I could get back to my young and good days where I was, I could probably get most any woman I wanted. <laughs> I could sing them songs. Oh. Late about doing that, God has this woman picked out for me, and she's the only one that had ever made a preacher's wife, anyhow, especially a pastor. We've uh, been living together ever since. We're living together now. And even if we all quarrels, which we do, uh, we get back together, and some people don't. How you figure that one out? Sort of like me, I was expecting to be cremated, and I had plans for it. And the people would bring me a casket here and give it to me, Undertaker. Come here and ask me one day what I, they could do for, for me as Undertaker down towards Atlanta. I said, I don't know what you do unless you bring my casket. And one day they brought a brand new casket. <laughs> I told him just put it up there on that stand. Yeah. I told him I'd probably be cremated and my ashes would be put in there. And I've been marrying people right on up till now. I married a couple last year last Sunday <laughs> that I married years ago. And I married uh, a couple from California not long ago right there, right here in this room. And I marry people all the time. I'm liable to have anybody to marry anytime. I've been marrying people like that all, all ever since I've been a minister. I feel like it's my duty to marry anybody if, uh, if they've got a husband or a wife and they've got state license, I believe it's my duty to marry them. And I've had people in my lifetime to come to me and say, Howard, I can't get married because they want uh, $300 for a funeral. I said, I can't pay it. I said, mister, you bring your wife and your license and come on down here. I said, you <coughs> have to pay nothing. You will. I'll marry you. Mm. I never charge nobody anything for marrying in my life, as I know of. And I guess I've got more money than the people that did charge because they always put a little 
donation in my pocket. That's great. You still going to be criminated? No, I was going to tell you the reason why that I'm not going to be criminated and see what you all think about it. It's foolish for a man to change his mind, it looks like. But I got to study about marrying all these people, and that's the reason I brought that in. Every one of them, I see that they make that vow in my ceremony. That you'll cherish her and love her all the days of your life until death please her, until death so separates you all. And they promise that. And I guess every one the other that I've married probably lied. I'm not for sure. <laughs> And uh, I got to studying about it. My wife didn't want me to be criminated. That was bad news to her. And I didn't realize that when I planned that. Talked to them about it. Because I think it's one of the most cleanest, wonderfulest ways to be put away that there is. is crimination. It uh, takes all the germs with it. It puts no pollution in the earth. It takes up no farm ground that kids like these are going to have to have one day, because the houses is covering mm -hmm. it all up. Yep, you're a visionary, Howard. Yeah, it's, it's one of the greatest things I know of in the way of death and burial is cremation. Because you're dead, you don't know nothing about it. You'll have to rot, you'll be sterilized, and what little's left of you will be pure. It won't hurt nobody else. Well, it won't hurt nobody to be buried, though. It won't hurt them to be criminated either. I don't want to be criminated. But your I wife don't, don't, don't want you to do it. You wouldn't even feel it. No, but I can think about it now. I don't want it. What you're thinking about is being put in a little pickle jar or something up in a shell. Uh, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. Don't you be criminal. Well, that's the way my wife was, and that's the reason I ain't being criminated. I'm trying to please her till she dies. And then she's like me, she ain't in no hurry to die, I don't reckon. <laughs> and I'm just telling you all why I wouldn't be criminated. Keep my vow. Our pastor was so busy, he run a cotton gin, what? and we got married in that cotton gin. He was so busy, he just, we went to the cotton gin and we didn't marry mm -hmm. How many years you been married, Howard? I don't, me and her have been married all her life, and I'm uh, 81. I'd say she was 14. Really? And I was about 18. Well, my daughter and them has to take me home and go. Most wonderful things that's left in the world. They are. There ain't nothing more wonderful than kids left in the world. I've got a little great-great-grandson about the size of that girl right there, and that, He's trying to talk, and oh, it's a sight on earth to hear him trying to talk. <laughs> and, yeah. and we just love children, and people bring children here, and there couldn't be nothing more sacred than these kids to me, because Jesus, I listen to him on tape all the time, and I play it over and over where the mothers was bringing the children to Jesus, and he was blessing them, you know. Yeah. And the disciples got to talking about it. Don't bring them here. Don't trouble the master. And Jesus knew what they were saying and thinking. And he says, Forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Except you become as humble as one of these little children, you will no wise enter into the kingdom. That's what the Lord said. And that really means something to me. And I tell you what, people had better be trying to get over to what Jesus said and, and get to follow him because time's playing out and when the good Lord Jesus comes in Ephesians the second chapter it tells you that uh, we which are 
alive and remain at his coming will not hinder those that are asleep. The Lord himself is going uh, to come with great power and great glory. And it'll be like it said, every eye shall see him. Said, it won't be like people think it is. The Lord's going to slip in here and take them away. And it says it'll be like the lightning that flashes in the west and goes plumb into the east. As the way the Son of Man will be. Every eye shall see him. And it says uh, uh, there'll be a, a great noise. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. And it's going to be something when Jesus comes here. It's not just going to be an ordinary thing. People are going to be sticking their heads out the door probably at uh, 4.30 of the morning in an unexpected hour. You're going to be looking out and you're going to see the Son of Man coming. And you're going to hear all of the, this, this heaven just passing away like an earthquake. And all of this commotion and everything. It says, Every eye shall see Him. All over the world, there won't even be a little worm or a butterfly or nothing that won't see Him. And they're going to look and see Him coming and they're going to say, Am I ready to meet Him? Am I ready to meet Him? And that's going to be a time that you're going to be the saddest that you've ever been in all the history of your life if you're not ready to meet Him when He comes. I'm a warning you. I've had visions of it and, and, and it scares me to think about Jesus coming on account of the people that's not expected, but He's coming. And uh, it's not too much you have to do to be ready for His coming. Let me tell you what it is. That's in uh, Romans 10 and 9. Whosoever shall confess Jesus with their mouth and shall believe that Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, he said he shall be saved. It means he will be. And you know it said in the last days that whosoever shall call on Jesus' name, not on the Father's name, not on God's name, on Jesus' name. In the last days, whosoever shall call on Jesus' name shall be saved. Shall, that means he will be. No doubt. And now, uh, I want you to think about that. Why is it that it's on the last days if you call on Jesus' name, you'll be saved? Because he's the Son of God. And because they told a lie. told that he was stole out of the tomb. And he wasn't. And he wants his son to be recognized. And he wants everybody to know that his son was not stolen out of that tomb. And if you'll call on Jesus' name, and when the world's coming to an end, I believe he'll save you right there. Because that's his son that was not stole out of the tomb. And it says some of the Jews believe that coming until today, that Jesus was stole out of the tomb. He wasn't stole out of that tomb. Jesus rose from that tomb. And people talk about Jesus died for us, Jesus died for us. Let me tell you another thing I've learned in 81 years. Jesus didn't just die for us. God Himself died for us when He gave His only begotten Son. He died. He gave His only begotten Son that we might be saved. God did. The way I see it, God gave His Son. And Jesus gave Himself. He said He did. He admitted to die for us, become willing. Although He went out there in that garden and prayed to his Father, if it be the Father's will, 
and let that cup pass. He didn't want to die on that cross. He didn't want to suffer on that cross. And he paid, prayed, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass. Uh, he said, uh, not my will, but thine be done. And that's when Christ himself gave himself for us. And he wasn't just tuck out there and outlawed and killed. He gave himself for us. He could have got 12 legions of angels and he killed everything from their back. And then he resurrected them and killed them again and again. He didn't do it. And that's what makes it so great to me. He died for me because he wanted to do that for me and for you. And there's no respect of person. That's to everybody. And I hate for, for the people, for Jesus to come in some night at 4.45 or 5.30 and uh, come in here and wake this world up with a big earthquake shaking the heavens and uh, all this commotion going on in, in the coming of Jesus. That he'll come from heaven himself, God will, with a shout with the archangel. It said uh, that uh, he'd gather his children from the four winds of the earth from all across the world. They'll just rise up to him. And I hear preachers talking about, make fun of people, sing that little song, I'll fly away. He said there ain't no such thing as that. And he'll just flop his hands like he's flopping his wings and talk about people that's going to fly away. He said there ain't no such thing as that. Well. Jesus, when he left here to go to the Father, he ascended up. Just ascended up. What's the difference? You're going. And what you make that difference and hurt little old kid's feeling that sings that song that don't know no better and all that they'll probably learn when they grow up. And why hurt their feelings? Why not just say, you will ascend to him. And I played it to see them where it said that you will ascend from, he will ascend from heaven as you've seen him go up. He will come back. And I never have seen no visions where angels had wings. I believe angels just descend. Like, uh, like if you're an, you become an angel, you're not a wife or you're not a husband. You're not a male. You're not a female. When you're an angel, you're an angel. And Christ told them that when they tried to tangle him up. You know, they told him, said, Lord, said this man here, if, he, if his wife dies and leaves no seed, uh, he's, she's supposed to marry his brother. And it says if the brother dies, he's supposed to marry the next one and the next one. And it says he's supposed to marry, this is back under the law, he's supposed to marry them as long as are up to seven. And it says now, then she dies. He says now whose wife shall she be in the resurrection since she's had these seven? Which one of them is her husband? And they thought they just had Jesus tangled up where he couldn't say nothing. But he always comes out with the real power. Jesus told them, said, you, Ari, you don't understand the scripture. He said, uh, in this world, you marry and give in marriage. But he said, in yonder's world, you are as the angels. Not a physical female or a male. You're an angel. And angels are something different than just males and females. And when we get there and become angels, we wouldn't trade that life back for no way on earth uh, what we've got here right now. The joy and peace that we'll have 
by being angels so much more than we would by being a male or a female. So you just remember that and when, uh, when you go to die, don't worry about whose wife you'll be up there and whose husband you'll be because you won't be. You'll be as an angel. And an angel have more joy and peace than us fellows, guys that's married and married, it couldn't possibly be no married life it'd be like being an angel. So I'll just tell you all a few little things because I'm old and I'm going to soon be leaving you. Yeah, and I This will. woman knew me since I was a kid, a little bitty thing, wearing fertilized sack clothes. She remembers that. I had to wear them too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to go. You've said that several times. Don't <laughs> lie. Well, I would. I just live over here a long time, but I got to go home. And yeah, well, I know what you're talking about. I've got to do the and same got thing. got to go to Atlanta. I've got to go home because I have to, I have to take medicine and stuff and all that things, and I have to go home pretty soon. Well, I'm going to go home. Y'all bring her back again sometime. I'm going. Thank to... you for giving us this time. We enjoyed it, and we'll be yeah. back. Okay. Bless okay. your heart, honey. You take care of yourself. Yeah, get up. Nice to meet you. I thought I was probably having a stroke, you know, and I walked out on the porch and I sat down in the chair where I always rest in the breeze and directly I counted to 10 and then I started back talking. And they, I went to this little place down here, emergency place, and told them about it and everything, me and my wife, to see what they thought. And they just uh, said, we, we will call the ambulance and send you to the hospital. We believe you're fixing to have a stroke. And so they sent me to the hospital, and a woman right over me looked at me, and she said, Howard, do you know who I am? I said, yeah, you're Preacher Lewis's daughter. Said, yeah, another lady there, she is there too, you know, helping run that ambulance, and that's putting a needle in my arm. I knew her, and, and when I got to the hospital, uh, this must have been crowded up because they had a curtain between two rooms, and I had to share a room. And while I was in there, a woman brought a little picture frame that I'd made years ago in my hospital room for me to sign, autograph her. And then the next day, then somebody brought up one of them clocks in there for me to sign. So I have to autograph in the hospital or wherever I'm at that people knows me. And people like y'all from California. That's the price of fame, Howard. Yeah. And we appreciate y'all coming by. Well, we appreciate being able to to get to meet you. Yeah, and if y'all got another song while these people here, sing them another. Well, we can do it. We'd rather hear you. I mean, we're here to hear you see you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, sure Jan would like to sing another one. Yeah, I'm not much of a musician at my age and everything, but uh, I still play a little, you know. I just play by ear. And I'm a folk artist. I never did get that story told a while ago. And I'm a sixth grade student. I don't have any education. And the Bible says, He that humbles himself, God will exalt him. That is, if you stay humble, he'll raise you up sometime. Well, where did he raise me up to? He raised me up to where I had a, a show of my garden on a stage at Miami University. And I was up there, and people had told me that these Bible verses and all that I write at the uh, devil, he said, people won't read them. And you're not doing no good like that. People, they, they don't... Uh, 
They got Bibles. Yeah, I know they got Bibles and they got 43,000 pieces of Harry Spencer's art too with Bible on it, in case they don't happen to think to read their Bible. In 40 years from now, they may read on the back of my art how to get saved. And uh, I had a feeling to do this, and I got uneasy about it. I think to myself, well, if people don't see this, I'm wasting my time, and am I doing right by putting God's Word on the back of my heart? And when I got in Miami University and me a sixth grade student, and nobody down there knew it, and I was putting a big screenshot of my garden on. You couldn't hardly get a picture of my garden at that time without getting the Bible verse. All right there, that Bible verse come right up on that screen and me standing down on the floor talking to the audience in this big university. They had their own hotels and everything, and I was really proud to get in there and have a show with them. And uh, it seemed like the angel just sort of touched my side and said, Howard, says, did you know it's against the law for you to have prayer in a place like this? And he says, here you are talking on the Bible. You're on the screen, and you're to these people. And it just same as told me, the devil lied to you. People will read it. And I tell you, the devil is deceiving. He'll really get you if you don't watch it. He will make himself so much like the Lord till you, if you ain't careful, you're going to wind up worshiping the Antichrist. You really have to watch what's going on. I heard a man the other day, and I'm not going to call no name, and I thought he had done some great minister work. And I listened to him, and he got to, over in the old Bible. That's where he stays nearly all the time, and he's telling the dreadful things, you know, like God killing people because of their wickedness and destroying people because they didn't do this, he said, and that, he said. And uh, he's just telling about all the, the sad things, how God destroyed people like that that didn't do what he wanted them to do. And I got to studying about it, uh, and under the New Testament, we're supposed to look at that in a different sense. We're supposed to pray for our enemies. That's the way he teaches Jesus himself will tell us if someone hits you on, smites you on one cheek, turn the other. And then he tells you, do good for them that do evil to you. And this preacher just keeps harping on all them people that God killed and all of them he drowned and all of them and he's done away with and everything. Why don't he get in the New Testament and teach some things that Jesus said? And now that man comes on at one o'clock every day. You can start listening at him and he claimed that he preaches verse by verse and chapter by chapter and I've sent him offerings twice. I pray for him and I think he brings some wonderful things. But I heard the other day I was listening and he answers questions. And I watch, I listen to him answering them questions. And the way I understand it, he was answering a question for two men that was married and, and telling them as long as it was something about if they was faithful to one another or whatever. You know, and I got to studying about that. And that's abomination. And that's a prophecy by Paul, I believe the apostle. He said, in the last days that men will leave the natural affection of a woman and they'll burn in their lust, men with men, working that, which is unseemly, and women the same way. And that's coming to pass, and I'm 81 years old, and I never heard of anything like that when I was growing up. Never. I can take you to my Bible tapes and play it for you. I can get it for you if you ever want to hear it. And uh, I was in New York putting on a big show at the Payne Weber building. And on each side of the Payne Weber building, it's right there close to the main park in New York. Is a showcase on each side all the way down that block and it had my heart on both sides of it and I was putting on a show there talking on my heart 
And this fellow come up and he was one of our greatest poetical men there was. They said he was the greatest American poetist. And he had been living with a man for 30 years. And he wanted me to answer uh, at the public that night, answer him about that. For a while, I kind of hesitated and I got to studying about it. And I would answer it under a certain circumstance. And so I did give him my answer. I said, uh, this man said he's been living with another man for 30 years, and he wanted me to tell him what I thought about it. I said, if he was faithful to this man for 30 years, I said, I don't see much difference in being faithful to the man than it would have been if it had been a woman. But I said, uh, if you are born with one of your ears off of your head, there's nothing you can do about it. But I said, if you cultivate yourself and make yourself like that, there is something you can do about it. And there may be people naturally born like that. I don't know. But I couldn't give him no okay on it. Uh, and then finally I got an Old Testament and then found out it's abomination in the sight of God for men to have sex with men and for women to have sex with women. It's abomination in the sight of God and if you don't turn from it, that he'll turn you over to an appropriate mind and you won't never know the difference. You'll just go on done that way and, and you just can't be a Christian. And that's something that's come on people in the last days. It's something that's a working on people. It's becoming a tool for the Satan. tool Satan's got right now that I see is cocaine. Cocaine is a dope. We used to raise it here all the time, poppies. But I don't reckon we knew it had dope in it. We'd been making cocaine ourselves. And it stopped us from making it and I wondered why. And now I come to find out that it's one of the greatest things against our nation right now that I can think of is cocaine. That our children are taking up arms in school. Uh, and things like that. Just last week out west, this boy shot a whole bunch of people just like he was in the army or something. And this uh, cocaine, the best I can find out about it, I don't know nothing about it. I had never used it, I had never looked at it, I had never seen it. But uh, they uh, are forcing it in here on our people and destroying our country with it. They're destroying our kids. But the only kid that's not going to be destroyed is the one that keeps them out of school where they have cocaine and uh, guard watch them and see that nobody don't bring it to their home and sell it to them. You'd just be so surprised to how these devils can get in with that stuff and small portions get kids started on it and get people started on it like me. It's in trouble and old and things like that. I've never took nothing like that. Only thing I ever took is a little pain pill that the doctors give me and can't tell you take anything when you take it. But anything a doctor gives you, it's supposed to be all right, or used to be. But right now, I'm not for, for sure about it. And what doctors ain't getting in on this herself because the Bible teaches it's the love of money 
the root of all evil. If it can run a little boy, it can run a doctor. If it can run a doctor, it can run a man like Henry Ford. And so we're living in perilous times. Do you know what perilous times is? I preached on that the other night at our church. I didn't even know what perilous meant. And me 81 years old. And if I was to ask you all here tonight, what does perilous mean? I don't know whether you all can answer it or not. Maybe some of you could. But I was expecting the preacher and I told him, I said, I couldn't tell you what it was. I said, I, before I come over here, I went to the dictionary to find out what peerless meant to start with so we'd get in the root of this thing. And peerless means a serious risk. And I said, every time you drive up under a red light, you're taking a serious risk because you can be killed right there, throw it out in the street, and then drive off with your car. I said, is peerless times done gone by? Or is peerless times now? Or is perilous times coming? And I got to the message and the point, and I preached them a real message and told them, I said, perilous times is here now, N-O-W, because these tornadoes are serious risk, and they're perilous times. And we're living in the days of perilous times now. And he said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. So you're, according to the way I said, you, you're all living in the last days. Y'all in the last days come from California here to sing and play with me and sing your song. What I'm trying to say, I've preached 40 years and pastored 10 different churches. I've preached funerals all of my life. Log heaps requested to be buried in a cemetery and log heaps and it blows zero. And me out there with overcoat on trying to preach funerals. And the coldest creek in Alabama uh, at seventh day of December baptizing that creek just because two guys got saved and there was preachers and they wanted to be baptized and uh, run in water. I went through a lot of things that I could tell you. There's not nothing more than my duty. But since I'm 81 years old, I can't get out and do that no more. And you just don't know how lonely a fella feels. I always thought retiring was one of the wonderfulest things in your life. But it ain't. It's one of the most lonely things. It's one of the biggest problems you nearly ever have. If you sit there 80-some years old, and you got nothing to look to except the last end of the way. And once in a while, somebody come in to see you. There's going to be a straightening up day not long from now, according to what I said. And it'll pay you to get everything made right at the desk of Jesus Christ and not at the desk of some pastor or some minister. But you go to Jesus Christ and get the tapes of the New Testament and listen to his parables. And I'll guarantee you there ain't no other preacher in the United States of the world, including Billy Graham, that can get it over to you like Jesus Christ can and lay there and listen to them people quote his sayings and you can learn them and you can become a Christian in your home and you can even learn to teach yourself <coughs> by listening to them. I had a vision not too long ago and I lived in shacks all of my life. I mean just from little old sheds and uh, I was always satisfied anywhere I lived as long as it wasn't leaking. 
<laughs> you know, and I could stay warm. And I never worry about fine homes and all like that. But God give me a good, beautiful home. I'm on the bypass of Somerville, going to Lone in Atlanta, and there's four and five cars in the front of my house sometimes, nearly all the time, there's so many traffic goes right by, and I sit on the porch and watch eight school buses go by there a time or two a day, and all them kids on them buses and everything, and cars, and I got a four-acre yard, and it cost me $100 to get that thing mowed every other week. And uh, the taxes on a house like that's 1500 bucks. Don't move in the city of Somerville. <laughs> move out somewhere under a light pole five miles away. <laughs> and when I moved there, God gave me enough money to buy it, and I just handed it to the woman, and we just bought it like you buy a box of cheese crackers and moved in. <laughs> we didn't think about uh, all them taxes being that high. Everything, you know. And, but we sat there and we enjoyed it. And then God helps to make enough where we live off of our social security. You know, if I hadn't gotten the art business and made some money and hung around with trying company a little longer, I wouldn't have had nothing much. But after I got in the art business and got to work in the Lord, called me in the sacred art, and I got to make an art. As one year back, I remember we paid the tax government seventy-six thousand dollars taxes. And now then we draw enough Social Security to pay all of that high taxes on our place. We draw enough Social Security to mow that yard. So God exalted us and gave us a very nice place to live. And we, we've appreciated it. And once in a while somebody come along and stop, say hello to us and talk to us on the porch and, and everything. We appreciate it. And so I come down here on Sunday evening from 2 to 5 to meet people who come here and autograph their art. They bring, bring their art in here from all across the country for me to put my name on. Now the 40-some years I pastored churches, I don't remember autographing anything. Maybe one time for somebody, something. And that's it. But this art business, I have to autograph sometimes eight hours at a time. I go to Tennessee, and I make a talk on Elvis in Mississippi last year, and they wrote a big old book on that and put some of my art on the front of that book and had me to come to Memphis this year to have a book signing. I sat there and signed that book, signed that book, signed that book, hour in and hour out, and hour in and hour out. And we sat there signing my names all of that much, knowing that I'm not worthy uh, of all of that honor and stuff like that and don't even believe in it but I have to go through with it it's it's a, it's a way of life for them that's a way of life they feel like it I, unless my autograph is on it it's not very valuable or something I pray Nice-looking gentleman and everything. Uh, no, thanks. You, so are you. Huh? You live for the Lord. Yes, sir. Well, I was thinking you did the way you sung, you know, and everything. 
And you know, most of the people I watch from California are having fun. I don't watch them too much because they're sort of out of my line. Well, I have fun. I have fun. And I don't hold nothing against them either. But you know, everybody's going to wish that they'd walked a little straighter, a little closer to God. I don't know the right preacher hasn't got a hold of these places. See, there's, there's two or three cities that I can remember of, and one of them must be the great whore that setteth upon many waters. Spoken of in Revelation. Is it Paris, France? Is it uh, the shores of New York? Or is it Hollywood? Where is it? But this woman setteth upon this island in this great city. And it's going to be burnt up within an hour's time. New York, Hollywood, Paris, France, or whichever one it is. I don't know. But it says they'll moan and weep out in the sea in the ships because they have delicately made their riches off of them women in them places, like movie stars, things like that. And that this woman comes out with a cup of her fornication and these shipmen looks in and sees this place destroyed and burnt up and you hear the grinding of the mills no more. You hear the music and the trumpets no more. And the men on the ships out in the ocean will weep and moan and say, this great city, it took years to build. With one and within one hour she's burnt up and gone. And they're out there weeping and their business is lost. Like these craftsmen that I've listened to on the, one of my tapes in the old Bible, that they, no, it's a New Testament. They, they were making idol gods. And there were men that made the gold craft to go on them idol gods. And these disciples was in there healing and getting people saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And these men is raising up against them because they're running their craft and they're condemning their idol god. And they raised up again. The early Christians had all kinds of things to suffer for and go through with that we hadn't even got. We don't realize nothing about how hard that a Christian has lived till we read that Bible, listen to it, and see them folks what they had to put up. They was beaten with stripes, blistered and beaten, and brutally, some of them killed because there was a worshiping God and doing miracles and the Holy Ghost was coming upon them and they was being born again and them fellows were making them idol gods didn't want their idol gods condemned and they was coming against them and give them trouble for years and kill lots of them, whipped them and beat them like dogs. Christian now has got a great opportunity. They ain't even talked about for being Christians here. And I wonder about another thing when is the millennial reign? When is the millennial thousand-year reign? The preachers are preaching that it's coming up. But what about when John come here preaching the kingdom of God when Jesus was here? And John said the kingdom of God is N-O-W, now, at hand. What was John talking about? If a kingdom of God was here then, could the millennial reign done be over? Or is it yet to come? You see, that's another thing that sort of dawns on me and I wonder about. I'm sort of afraid to make any decisions which way that it would be. But you know yourself that he said, 
the kingdom of God is now at hand, and John come preaching the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? They finally got to where they healed everything that was sick. There wasn't nothing around there that wasn't healed. They come down the streets and drove. And I believe the kingdom of God was here, whether it was a millennial or not, when everybody was getting healed and the leprosy was leaving them immediately and you could see it just flash off of their arms. And then I was listening to Peter this morning uh, where Peter walked in and this woman was dead and uh, he just brought her to, resurrected her. Ain't that the kingdom of God on earth or is it? And then when no one had ever been raised from the dead before, and Jesus walked up and, and told Martha to move a stone, and she said, Well, Lord, he stinketh, but this time he's been dead four days. Jesus said, If thou wouldest not see the glory of God, as I said to you, and she went and moved, they went and moved the stone. And Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Now if the dead was raised, and all of the sick was being healed, doesn't matter what's wrong with them. Say, we're up again age now. I call it like a second leprosy. We're having trouble. We're in trouble right now with age. Our people are dying off, and they hadn't found nothing that'll cure age. And just suppose somebody come in here now and say, the kingdom of God's at hand. And then suppose they healed all the people that had age, and they healed all the people that had arthritis. Now he healed all of the people like me at old age and give me strength and youth again. Wouldn't that be the kingdom of God? Well, that's what they're preaching when John come here. And old John, he didn't really know exactly what to do sometimes. John was standing there and, and he burned incense in the temple, I believe, while the people outside prayed. And while he was doing that, an angel come. And this angel, John seen him leaning up on, over there and, and the angel told him, said, John, I shall have a child born. He'll be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And uh, of course he is old. He thought he was too old to have children and, and he thought his wife was too old to have children. And this, this angel happened to be Gabriel's angel. I mean, not just an ordinary angel, but Gabriel's angel, and he didn't realize it. And we was talking to this angel. He said, how will I know these things? I am well stricken in age, and my wife's well stricken, and how will I know this? And he just seemed, same as telling that angel, he didn't know what he was talking about. And you know what happened? That angel told him, says, you shall be dumb until this child is born, and all these things happen. That you can't speak until the time that this happens because I am from Gabriel and I stand in your presence and because you would not listen to me, believe me, you'll be dumb till this child born and all is coming. He couldn't speak. If an angel ever get, comes and gives you a message, don't, don't tell him nothing unless you, uh, unless you ask him a question or something. They will answer questions. But Gabriel's angel, and him asked him, how shall I know these things? And the man telling him about them at that time. And instead of believing them, asked him, Gabriel, how do I know these things? Of course, he didn't say Gabriel. But Gabriel himself told who he was. John, I'm Gabriel. And uh, 
since you don't believe me, you're going to be dumb. You can't speak to nobody until this kid's born and all these wonderful things happen. So if an angel ever speaks to you, listen to him. And there's always been angels, and God sends them. And uh, when I when he gets ready to take me, he'll probably send an angel and after me. And I'll see my last sad hour. It may be in the nighttime, none of my family around. It may be off in the field or the yard somewhere. But when he gets ready to take me, for me to be absent in this body is to, to be present with him. And you'll go to God and you'll be in a spirit, an angel, and you will uh, be there until Christ comes to resurrect you. And I want to ask you another thing. Some people say there's no such thing as a man being resurrected from ashes and, and from bones and from caskets. There's no such thing, he says, as that. says, God's not a God of the dead. says, he's a God of the living. And he says, there ain't going to be no such as that, like people coming out of a grave where there's ashes and dust. And I, I go in there and I get my Bible and I put my turn my tape on, and here it comes on. It comes on and says, "The time is coming and now is," something like that. When the dead and 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 the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth from the grave, is he right or is that right? Or how do you divide it? You see, one thing is finding your way out how to get to God. And that's a simple thing like, like it says in Romans. Romans. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, you got to confess God to somebody if it ain't nobody but your mama. To get saved, you got to confess God to somebody. And then you've confessed Him. If you just go to your mother and say, Mother... I confess God. I won't be saved. And uh, he that confesseth with his mouth and believeth that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead, he shall be saved. It's no maybe. It's no you could be. It shall. And I got another fellow that says this earth has never burned up and it won't never burn up. He said it's never been destroyed. It won't never be destroyed. It's just worked over. I wouldn't be surprised we ain't in the, in the time of the Antichrist. What I'm trying to do is to tell you some kind of people's out there and let you study about who's right. Is the tape of Jesus right? Is this man right? Is that verse right? He says the earth will never burn up and it'll never be destroyed. Nothing it will be here. It'll just sort of be transferred and changed into different <clears throat> and I figured that uh, the first earth was until the flood and when the flood come I figured the second second world started with Noah and the ark and the third world I thought was uh, said that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and brother Wright what is new is new mean second handed does second handed mean new at 81 years old, I'm beginning to wonder about God's Word and who's right. 
and I want you to do the same thing, and at least you can find out how to be saved, because I've done told you there in Romans 10 and 9. That's one place. And another place in there that simply tells you how you can be saved. And uh, I'm, my wife got saved at home, and uh, I know quite a few people that got saved at home, maybe out on their job somewhere, when they make that dedication. and make that. My father got saved just before he died, and, and I prayed with him and worked with him for years. He thought a lot of times I was going crazy and everything. And he lived to be 60-some years old died with cancer and I'd prayed for him and he knew I prayed for him and I'd uh, lay out on the front porch and hear him talk to the neighbors you know and what did they talk about they talked about the Democrats and the Republicans and that's what I've heard ever since Democrats and Republicans I got so sick of that I don't want to hear them two names no more as long as I live They've fought ever since I was a little kid. They've fought some of the terriblest battles and done some of the terriblest crimes just to try to get in office. It beats anything that I've... I've never come up with anything in this lifetime that I thought was any more damaging hurt to us as two parties divided in this great country, which is a divided house. And I think everybody should forget about Democrat and Republican and go to a platform and figure out a way for their people and all of them agree together on it. Uh, we've got a fellow that's trying to get into office to do away with your Social Security. And I just look around right now knowing how many people are depending on Social Security. And they worked years ago and put that money in there and it drawed interest for them. And how that anybody could go in there and take that away from them? How? And if that went busted as much as they're taking in, what went with the money? They didn't get it. And I tell you, it's terrible for parties to rob old people and hard-working people and take their money away from them. That's wrong. And God will watch this, and He will watch it, and He'll wait, and He will see what's going on. And He shows me what's going on. And I'm watching and waiting too. Well, there's going to be a deadline sometime. God's going to stop that all. And that's when I believe the end time's coming. And now instead of saying the earth will never be destroyed, let me tell you what I've seen in the Bible. The earth also... <laughs> And the works that are therein shall, which means positively, be burnt up. That's what it says. Am I going to believe him or am I going to believe what that verse said? That verse is not from a college graduate. His, his education is so high till I can't even read. Read it. When he gets up and talks 30 minutes, I don't even know, I don't have enough education to even believe what he's saying. <laughs> and he'll say something like, here, that means something back on a thousand years ago or something else. And where it speaks about, and I'm not condemning him. I'm not saying he's wrong. 
I'm just telling y'all what I'm up again right now. And that's what people are preaching, what people are saying. And he says that uh, there'll be the earth won't be destroyed. And I read in there just plain enough to where that kid right there could understand it. And he says plainly, the earth and the works therein shall be burned up. The earth and the works therein shall be destroyed. They'll be burned up. There'll be no place found for them. And uh, that's pretty plain, ain't it? The earth and the works therein shall be burned up. What is the works therein? The biggest jets we've got. These biggest uh, submarines that's in the ocean right now that destroy the world. That's what's, uh, that's what's there. Sneaking up on me like a thief in the night. Oh, and every time it makes me think of you. Long ago beneath the Georgia moon. How many children did you have? Sorry to say, but I had five kids. Well, that's what I. That's what I've got. And I have 15 grandchildren, and I don't know how many great. Well, I got you beat. I got you beat on that. Yeah. The grandkids. Yeah, but you married twice. I hadn't been married at <laughs> I don't have any children, but. Just but like one, two hands, you know. Yeah, but I don't have any but this up in Alabama in 1950. I was in a big revival down there and I was under a, a, out in the middle of the pasture under a tree, in like an apple tree, and I wrote this song. And the precious folks there that loved us and we was in a big revival and souls were getting saved and we'd go out in the field and chop cotton with the kids and they'd come to the revival and we'd give all the call, they'd fall in that revival, in that altar and get saved.
quenched the fiery furnace and they didn't even send them three fellas. It's great, you know. I, I believe it's an angel over fire can just come down and keep any kind of fire from burning you because he has power over fire. Talk about um, Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego? Yeah, that was them. Songs like that's not going to work with a modern movie stars and all that bunch. It's not going to work with them. But you're going to find people that will love them songs and they're dying and waiting to hear them. Yeah. Democrats and Republicans are sort of opposite to one another. So is the uh, free world and uh, the uh, communists, they're kind of opposite to one another. And uh, they have different ways of fighting. And the communists can fight with cocaine and destroy this country with it. And the communists can uh, teach young children to where they can destroy us with them. And communists can burn all of our mountains and everything off just with a few little paper bombs and not being checked when they go into our forests. And I'm telling you things that you might not have never thought of, and I might not have to worry you with it because I guess you've got enough troubles as it is. But we need to watch about these things pretty well and uh, try to watch out and try to find out what we can, what's causing these kids to kill one another in school like that. And then what's called people kill you just driving up under a red light? Throw your body out. And what's wrong, what, what's happened to people that come in, rob your family and everything, and all they do is kill you first, just keep you from telling you. That's all. Howard, may I ask you a question? Yeah. I came in here a long time ago to see you with this guy. Do you recognize him? Yeah, that's what laughs all the time. <laughs> now, Victor, I don't know how much Victor laughs. Yeah, old Victor Facento. That's correct. He's wanting to give me that Cadillac. That's that's exactly right. You've got that written on the Cadillac that he gave you that. Well, you know anything about him now? I, I sure do. In fact, I see Victor a lot. Uh, What's I'm, he doing now? Well, he's, uh, he's having an art show uh, this weekend in Ohio, in Cleveland, Ohio. He's showing he some of his films. He does fan art. He does. He makes a lot of films right now. And uses little diamonds and all kinds of stuff. He does? That's, that's true. He's doing a lot of film work right now. He's just about as nice a fellow as I've ever seen, Victor Santo. Well, he is, and I, I'm going to give him your regards when I get back. I told him I'd probably try to come down here when um, I was here. Hello, and tell him that, uh, that I've spent the night with him and his wife, and they're great friends of mine, and they used to come and see me right smart. And when he got his other car, he gave me that Cadillac, and I painted it up. And for a while, you know, that thing was really a beautiful thing, you know. People had a fiddle with old Cadillac, or the front painted it up, you know. And uh, Victory is, is quite a nice guy. Thank you. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. Victor Pesanto at one time was one of the best friends I got. He went to New York with me and shows and everything. Well, I was up in New York when you came to be with Victor that time. You brought Beverly with you. Uh, they he said, had me in his university time. Right. And uh, he's, when you came up to New York, I remember riding the subway, I remember Beverly being with you. Could, uh, could you tell us um, why you think God exists? Yeah. Well, I think God exists. I can sure tell you that. That's one thing I can tell you beyond all the others. 
these fellas here are making a video and they want me to tell them uh, how that I know that God exists. You know, nobody has ever seen God at any time. And like that little baby there, and there's nobody else ever seen God at any time. And these guys are here on my back to tell them about this. And I was fixing to tell them about why they is a God. And, the, and after I get through, if they don't believe in God, well, they're going to go to hell. <laughs> now this is very simple. It's so simple that you might not comprehend it. And I've got little kids out from this right here are teaching faith in God. One of the infidels I, I met was seven years old. I was out behind a filling station talking to him. And to hear him talk and everything and denying ain't no God and everything, it just made me sick. I was the most disappointed kid that you never ever seen because I got saved at, at 13 years old. And, and I got the Holy Ghost. And I've been listening all this time, years past, wondering if he wouldn't call and say, Howard, I finally got out of that stuff. And I don't get mad at people for infidels and don't believe. I don't get mad at them. That's just, that's what they are. And they're not ashamed of it. They don't care to tell you. But if you can convert them, why, well, I believe God will reward you. What convinced you? Uh, when you were 13, what convinced you? When I was 13. When, when you, be, you said you became a Christian at 13? Yeah. What was it that made you take uh, the Well, the way I found God, they give altar calls back in them days, and the state furnished the schools for the churches to have church in. So we actually held our church at the old schoolhouse. And there was preaching and giving altar calls, and that uh, a man, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again not born of blood and of water, but born of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they give altar calls, and when they give altar calls, the people, when it's under conviction, they just went to that altar and knelt down there for prayer. And they prayed till God saved them. And a lot of times, people come along and talk to them, oh, you're all right, you made it, get up from there. I never did believe in that. But that night, I was so little, I reckon they thought that I didn't know nothing about what I was doing. Nobody talked to me. I was just down there praying to God, wanting to get saved. That's all I wanted. And I felt convicted in my soul. God convicted me. I was condemned. And I was in sin. And I was one of the worst sinners that could probably be as far as I knew. And they didn't nobody come talk to me because I was so little. And all I could say was, oh God, save me. That's all I could say, say. I didn't know nothing else to say. That's the only prayer I could pray. Oh, God, save me. And I just kept saying that till finally God saved me. When he saved me, the inside of my heart and soul become so happy that I started hollering and shouting, Amen, hallelujah, praise God. And I got up and the people, everybody standing, people shouting, people getting saved. And, and all, and some of the benches was empty, and I got up on them benches and started walking up and down them benches, a hollering, a trying to get everybody in the world to know how I felt, because that's what I wanted. I wanted everybody in the world to know what I felt. And I was born again. Tears running down my cheeks, and my soul was just rejoicing. And I had to shout. Just, 
if you hadn't ever been happy enough to shout, that would probably be the first time you'll ever shout if you ever get the Holy Ghost to get saved. Now he said, did John come? He said, John comes baptizing uh, with water. But says, there's one cometh after him who uh, will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And that was Christ. And Christ gave the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the third one in the Trinity. And they, they tried to condemn Jesus and get shed of him. And they couldn't find nothing else to condemn him for. And they, they tried to make out like he was casting out devils by devils. And Jesus heard him say that. He told him, said, if you son a man, you can sin again him. And you can get forgiveness for that. And you can sin again God, you can get forgiveness for that. But he said, if you sin against the Holy Ghost, you shall never get forgiveness, now or never. And that's what they was doing, was the way I see it, sinning against the Holy Ghost, because they said that he cast out devils by Beelzebub. And Jesus told them that the house divided against itself can't stand. He said, that can't be, you know. And he explained it to them in a good, sensible way and told them that they couldn't get forgiveness for it. It was unpardonable sin to speak against it and that it was uh, one and the third of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And I heard another preacher preaching and he said, the only way you can sin against the Holy Ghost is to accept the Antichrist. He said that's what that was, sin against the Holy Ghost, was to accept the Antichrist. And in the last days that the Antichrist was coming and he was going to put on a message that you'd almost think he was God and he was going to win most of the people. And there'd be a millennial reign of a thousand years uh, that God's people would reign and after that the devil would be loose for a short season. I don't understand them things. That's some of the revelation of John and some of his vision. And this is some of Howard Fenster's visions here that I'm showing you here. And so... I get studying about it. Am I supposed to announce that I'm a man of vision? Am I supposed to come out here and tell people and publish that I have visions? Am I supposed to do that? And right over in my Bible, I read it in the last days that uh, old men shall dream dreams, young men shall have visions, and uh, people will prophesy. And I, I'm, I'm in the, the prediction of prophecy. I was, I've both been young and old and I've had visions and had dreams both and been old and young too and had them when I was young and had them when I was old shall I tell my visions or shall I not I don't think my visions would be so hard on me except one thing unless they contradict God's word if any of my visions contradict God's word that'd be too bad or you either one and then some people go and they're infidels and people don't know it. They don't realize And if you're like that, uh, don't be so quiet about it. Talk to yourself when you're off by yourself. And especially after this message, remember what I said. You see it and it's real. I mean, you don't see it and it's real and you know it's there. And you believe in it. That's the way you believe in God. You, you don't see it. It's like that. Does the Holy Ghost help you make your art? Uh, Does the Holy Ghost help you make your art? Does He inspire your art? Well, since I've since pastoring ten churches, I never thought of this. 
And me, 81 years old, I never thought of this. And I've been thinking as hard as I could all my life, what am I going to preach on and how am I going to preach it? And this never did come to me. And here it is all at once, it's going into your hands and you're going, somebody else is going to see it from you and somebody's going to see it for them. And I ain't no telling where this thing will go to before it's over. It could go all over the world. It's right here, just from you and other people. It comes in here and takes it. And that's the beautiful part about it. If you take this and destroy it, and it helps good, and gets some infidel saved, mister, you get a reward. Because he says if you even give a cup of cold water in the name of one of my disciples, you won't lose your reward. And if you get this out to a million people, and three people has a record of coming to God and believing on God, because you come and got this, and took it a thousand miles and seen it two more thousand miles and seen that they seen it. And then you could uh, very well have credit for winning infidels where some couldn't even win them at all. And uh, that credit, that God sees every good thing you do. And you know you're going to be judged by, by the deeds that's done in this body of yours. And if you go out tonight and show this to people and tell them there's nothing to it, try to make them believe it, after they catch on to it, you can't make them not believe it because it's too plain. They have to believe it the way I tell you. They have to believe it or they feel like they're fools because it's so plain. And that's what, that's what, uh, that's what kind of touches me to think that I never thought of it before, how to teach an infidel and that this is the best way that I've ever known to teach infidel. There's one more way that I can tell you, and it's on invisible things too. And uh, I wished I had one of them. Uh, could you get me one of them posters on the soul of man? I'm trying to teach you on the sideline a little extra because I'm like Jesus. I never was taught to teach. They said Jesus... They said, how does he know them letters not ever being in school? That's sort of the way of me. I teach things without a teacher teaching me. It's pick it up. It comes to me. Vision. And uh, now let me get back to the next one. I believe there's seven. At this time, or you might have never heard this unless they showed it to you on a screen or something and explained it. And it's not easy to get a 500 people quiet enough, long enough to tell them sophisticated things like this. You have to work with them a little bit and tell them now that they're going to have to really look real good to see a soul and that they're going to have to really look good to see an invisible human because that's what we're talking about. And that's what they'll be showing. They'll be showing the unseen. They'll be preaching the unseen. But they won't be not preaching the unknown. Because when I get through with you telling you about it, you know it. It's known. Beforehand, you'd have to say, Howard, I never heard it before. And this is probably the first time. I'm not only telling people about it, it's on this paper here of going out and being reproduced by thousands of copies. It tells the same thing on that paper. 
it all that represents every one of them seven invisible members. Now I'm trying to think of an invisible member that we hadn't used, and uh, you might try to help me think of that. But I believe there's another invisible member uh, somewhere that, uh, that I hadn't got. Yeah, let me, let me go to it. I believe it's, yeah, the brain. Yeah. Yeah, he put his finger right up there. Yeah. All right, your brain. You're going to x-ray your brain, and you do. And you x-ray it to full capacity and look at every cell in it. And when you get to x-ray in the brain and looking at it, you cannot see the memory that's in that brain. Do you think you can see the memory that's in that brain? No, you can't. If you don't remember it, it's gone forever because you can't see it. You can't see memory. The other day when, when words left me, and I couldn't even think of one word to say, and I thought I was having a stroke. And I got to studying about how did I get in that condition? I stayed that way for several minutes, and I was trying to tell my wife that I couldn't speak. All I could do was just make a sound. I couldn't speak no words. I didn't know no words. And I was out of way for something like five minutes. I walked out on the porch and I thought to myself, how will I ever get to where I can say anything anymore? And directly I, yeah, I, okay, I started counting, counted to ten. When I counted to ten, then I started words coming back to me and I started talking. And I come to sit down to this little place here where I live to see that doctor and he scared he was afraid. He said, afraid you're going to have a stroke. He just put me, had me uh, called animals, animals, sent me to the hospital. And they x-rayed me and uh, my brain. And in the hospital, they was fixing to make a second x-ray, which that's expensive. And my Dr. Brown come down there and seen me and told me, that, of course, I was praying. I wanted to get out of there. I don't like to stay in the hospital much. Of course, I work there too and teach and talk to people and they're just like I do out here. And uh, my wife's out there waiting on me, and I don't know how long she'll wait. And I'm going to have to leave y'all. But I'd like to get through with this last seven invisible members. Your brain, you remember, what you think, what you remember. And uh, this is one of the invisible members. And this one is the one you're going to take right on to heaven with you, just like you had it here in this world. And all, all of these seven invisible members that I've told you about here in this world, they're going to all go right on with you uh, into that other world. And you're not going to quit seeing or you're not going to quit hearing or you're not going to quit feeling. And every one of these things is going to be there and that's going to make it heaven for you. And they'll be forever. And there won't be no more gray hair. And there won't be no more of you forgetting. And, uh, these seven invisible members in you now is already invisible. They're already eternal. But now listen, if them seven invisible members don't go to heaven where Jesus is and goes to hell, you're going to be in trouble for certain because your feeling's going to feel hell and your memory's going to remember hell and it's going to go on and on. It's going to be too bad. And you're now deciding where your soul is going to go. And your seven invisible members is your soul, and they're forever. And when they leave you, they're going to one of the two places. 
And so I'm gonna have to go with my wife for waiting on me and just to run off and leave me. I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to hear more of those recordings of Howard Finster, check out In the Corner Back by the Woodpile episodes 264 and 268. Also, might I recommend the art of another Howard, that being Howard Zeller, who was a car customizing artist who was in the orbit of Big Daddy Roth, Shaky Jake, Von Dutch, and others in that particular scene. We did a two-part photo essay on Mr. Zeller, which you can find at thebrofisticate.com. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. (laughs) 